Take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation 14. Thank you, Mr. Charles. Revelation 14, in just a moment, we'll look at verse 14 and following. Revelation 14, verse 14. When I was young, my dad bought a little farm just outside of Dyersburg. It had an old house on it. Nobody lived in it. And I remember on the other side of that house, dad and mom planted this humongous, at least I thought it was humongous, garden. And they had all kind of peppers and uh, everything, peas and uh, green beans and everything you can imagine out there. And we worked in the garden some, but then also he put out a, uh, a pasture. And I was the one that got to have the little crank deal that you was the broadcaster. You know, broadcasting, we think that's a media term. It's an agricultural term. And it's a where you have this little bag of seed on, you have the broadcaster and you crank it and it just throws it everywhere. And so I walked all over there and we got pasture and we had going to have cows. And uh, then we would uh, do another thing. This was, uh, you know, I've got a, a PhD from a seminary, but I had a PhD when I was young, a post hole digger. And uh, uh, <clears throat> I can remember my dad saying, uh, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. And uh, I got on the, the working end of a post hole digger, and uh, we built fences and did all kinds of things. And, but, but I think my favorite part of the whole farm deal was uh, the cotton. I loved the cotton. We planted cotton. I didn't really like to chop cotton. I, chopping cotton is something you do when you, you know, the, the, the old timers did it. You would go down the rows and every weed you saw, and boy, you better not chop cotton when you're chopping cotton, all right? You better chop the weeds around the cotton. And I've done that. But the favorite part of the whole thing was the harvest time. We hired this, then he was a young man. He's in his 70s now. He's sick. He watches us online a lot of times from Dyersburg. And uh, uh, Eddie Anderson became a dear friend to us. He was in his 20s at that time. And uh, he had a cotton picker that he and his family had, and he came and picked our cotton. And I remember when that was going on, just the sense of accomplishment. And uh, we had ridden around on tractors and chopped that cotton and taken care of it, and all of a sudden now, here's the fruit of our labor. And many times in the Bible, you see that the Bible literally has an agricultural background. There are farmers, there are fishermen, and there are people, I guess that's one of the reasons I like it. You know, the, probably one of the most, if not the most famous parable Jesus ever spoke started with these words in Matthew 13, 3, he spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, the sower went out to sow. So there's always this idea of agriculture in the Old and the New Testaments. And most of the time when you hear about harvest, it's a very good thing. It's kind of like payday. But there are times in the Bible when the harvest is very negative. And that's where we are today in Revelation. The first harvest is a harvest of wrath called, it represents the seven bowls of wrath. We read about that later on in chapter 16. We'll review that today, even though we're in chapter 14. The second harvest of wrath is going to be the bloodiest battle of all history, the Battle of the Valley of Armageddon, in the Valley of Armageddon. And uh, you and I are going to look at the wrath of God today. 
One thing I want to remind you is God is a God of love. But don't stop there. God is also a holy God who is a God of wrath. And I want to tell you, if if you really want to appreciate the gospel, Jesus bore all of the wrath of God when he died on the cross for your sins so that you don't have to be the recipient and the object of the wrath of God. You ought to praise Jesus Christ every day for the cross because he literally became the recipient of God's holy wrath for our sin. So as we talk about these plagues of wrath, as we talk about these harvests of wrath, what you have in Revelation 14, 14 through 20, is a futuristic prophetic look. And John sees what's coming at the end of the Great Tribulation. He sees the seven bowls of wrath before they even come. He sees the battle of Armageddon even before it comes, and he sees the outcome. And this may seem a little bit harsh today, but I want to tell you something. God, God loves sinners, but God hates our sin. And he pours his wrath out on it. So let's look at the coming wrath's harvest of wrath. Revelation 14, verse 14, then I looked and behold, highlight that, underline that, there's a special reason that word is there, behold, a white cloud sitting on the cloud was one like the son of man having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand and another angel came out of the temple crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now, verse 16 is a summary verse, and it is elaborated on all of Revelation 16 is an elaboration of Revelation 14, 16. Now, if you guys didn't get that, just ask your wife what I just said, okay? All right. But do it after the sermon. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in the heaven. And he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who has power over fire, that is, he's at the altar where the incense is being burned and the prayers are being saved, came out from the altar and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle saying, put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. This is the word of the Lord. We're getting in Revelation toward the end. Most everybody that's going to get saved has already been saved in the great tribulation. People now have become so calcified and so hardened toward the grace of God 
that they literally will not respond even when God pours out His wrath upon them. So, let's look and see what the Bible says about these two harvests that are on their way of divine wrath. Number one, the harvest of the bowls of wrath. You might remember that we've already seen that in the Bible there are seven seals of wrath. That's how it opened up. And then there were seven trumpets of wrath. Now there are going to be seven bowls of wrath poured out. And this is the crescendo. This is the apex of the wrath of God in Revelation. And John sees it even before it comes. Look at verse 14. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and a Sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head, a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. When he, had set, when he who sat on the cloud swung, then he who sat on his cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. Notice, first of all, in verse 14, the crowned harvester. Who is this? We know who this is. In fact, if you're a Christian, he lives within you. Verse 14, then I looked and behold, a white cloud. When you see that little word, behold, that usually is connected to deity. Behold, a white cloud. It's either referring to God or it's referring to an announcement from God. A white cloud sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man. That's Jesus' favorite reference to himself. Other people called him the son of God, but he called himself the son of man. And it was a prophetic messianic term that he got out of Daniel chapter 7. Having a golden crown on his head. Ah, now we know who this is. A sharp sickle in his hand. This is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Jesus. Behold, that word means this is Jesus. No doubt who he is. He's sitting on a white cloud symbolizing His majesty. He's wearing a golden crown symbolizing His royalty. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He's holding a sharp sickle symbolizing His right to harvest. And also, He is about to give a harvest of wrath among mankind. His sickle is sharp and it is poised. It's going to mow down unrepentant, hardened sinners. Our Lord Jesus Christ will be the crowned harvester. Behold Him in His glory. And then notice the command to harvest. A command is given by an angel. Look at verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to Him, that is to Jesus, who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. This angel commands Jesus to harvest. Now, some commentators, they just explode on this. They said, maybe this is not Jesus. How in the world can Jesus have an angel, just a simple angel, telling him what to do? Hey, look at me. Angels, the word angelos just means messenger. These are heavenly messengers. And this angel wasn't himself telling what Jesus was. He was just bringing a message from the Father. And Jesus always obeyed the Father. Jesus didn't look at it that this angel was telling him what to do. Jesus was looking at it that the Father was telling him what to do through this angel. And how does Jesus respond to the Father? Do you remember when Jesus in John chapter 4 went 
And he was in Samaria, and he was at a well. Talked to that Samaritan woman who had been married five times, was cohabitating, living in fornication with a man at the time. And he talked to her about living water and all of that, told him, told her she, he was the Messiah. And his disciples had gone to go get some lunch. They came back. They said, Jesus, we brought lunch. And they were surprised he was talking to the woman. And Jesus said, I have food, John 4, to eat that you don't know anything about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said this. Now listen, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus said, I do whatever the Father tells me to do. We read in John chapter 6, after Jesus fed all the 5,000 men plus their families, Jesus said, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And do you remember when Jesus was about to go to the cross and he was with his disciples praying in the garden of Gethsemane? When you go to Israel, I'm telling you, one of the most holy places in all of Jerusalem is the Garden of Gethsemane, because that's where Jesus prayed these words. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering. He was talking about the cup of the wrath of God away from me. Yet, aren't you glad he prayed this? I want your will to be done, not mine. Aren't you glad that Jesus always wanted God the Father's will to be done? So here he has a command from an angel. Well, the angel was the courier, but the command came from the Father. Put in your sickle. Reap, for the hour has come to reap. The harvest of the earth is ripe. Jesus did it. It was time for the sinners on earth to reap a wicked harvest. The command harvest. Then the catastrophe of the harvest. Now, this is going to take just a few minutes I want you to look at verse 16, and again, then we're going to turn to chapter 16 in Revelation because this one verse is pointing to this whole chapter, and we have to look at it as quickly as possible. Look at verse 16. Then he, Jesus, who sat on the clouds, swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, this is talking about, again, the seven bowls of wrath. Turn with me very quickly to chapter 16, and we'll look at these seven bowls of wrath. Bowl number one, Revelation 16, verses 1 and 2. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Now, this is the apex. This is the climax of all of God's wrath being poured out on mankind. There have already been the uh, seals, the seven seals, the seven trumpets. Now, he ends all of that with the seven bowls of wrath. Verse 2, so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome, malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped his image. In the Old Testament, when they were about to, the people of God were about to go into the promised land, the Lord said, I want to warn you, I want to tell you that if you sin when you get in the promised land, I'm going to put boils on you. Now listen, from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. You say, where's that? Deuteronomy 28, 35. The Lord will strike you on the knees and the legs with sore boils from which you cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. These are loathsome boils. And you remember, they received these because they had received the mark of the beast. God said, you want a mark? I'll give you a mark. You want the mark of the beast? I'll give you a mark of boils from the top of your head 
to the bottom of your feet. That's wrath, bowl of wrath number one. And then bowl number two, Revelation 16, verse 3, the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became, this is the, the salt water, it became blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea, that is every sea life creature died. All the aquatic life going to die. Now one third of it had already been killed back in Revelation chapter 8. You might remember that. But now God's going to finish it all off. And no more fish, no more whales, no more underwater plants, no more coral reefs. Every seashore, you won't go to the beach anymore. It's going to be soaked in carcasses with foul stench and blood. God's wrath is going to devastate the sea life because of man's sin. Bowl number three, Revelation 16, verses four and seven through seven. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers, that is the fresh water. He'd already taken care of the salt water. Now he's going to do away with the fresh water, the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, righteous are you who are and who were, O holy one, because you judged these things. They, for they, these people, poured out the blood of your saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And then somebody else in, seven, in heaven, the, I heard the altar saying, yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Probably that host of martyrs that we saw earlier in chapter 7. So here you've got God pouring out blood, making, turning the fresh waters into blood. Why? He's letting them reap what they sowed. They they killed his preachers, they killed his prophets, they killed all the soul winners they could, they massacred people, these sinners did, these hardened sinners during the Great Tribulation, they massacred them and blood was flowing everywhere. Now they get to drink blood. God said, no more fresh water for you. You're going to reap what you sow. Righteous are you in your judgments, O God. Bowl number four, Revelation 16, 8 and 9, the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun and it was given to him to, to it to scorch man with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat and they repented, right? Wrong. They blasphemed the name of God. Literally, I can't, there's no way I could even try to tell you from the pulpit how horrible their language is. They literally take God's name in vain in a blasphemous way. The God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Somehow the rays of the sun are going to intensify so much that they're literally going to cook the people's flesh, and it's going to be literally worse than any sunburn you've ever seen. It's going to be a, a sun scar. Right? People won't even go out. Bowl number five, Revelation 16 through 10, 10 and 11. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and his kingdom became darkened. And they gnawed their tongues because of pain. It's not just a, it's not just a physical darkness where you can't see it, a visible darkness, but it's a physical darkness in the body and a spiritual darkness in the mind. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. You might remember that back when God was pouring out 
the bowls of wrath, if you will, or the, the, the plagues on Egypt when the people of, of Israel were about to make the exodus, X out of, you can see exit out here, X out of, way out, and Exodus is the road out, the road out of Egypt for them, the exodus, the, the road out of Egypt for them, God poured out plagues so that Pharaoh would let them go. And one of those plagues, we hear about it in Exodus 10, 21, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Now listen, even a darkness which can be felt, that's the kind that God's going to send even in a more intense way during the great tribulation. And it is a precursor of hell. I don't understand all about the torments of hell, but I can tell you, look at me, you don't want your worst enemy going to hell. It's not just fire, but there is a spiritual and a literal darkness. How God pulls that off with fire, I don't know. But I can tell you, He's God. He can do whatever He wants to do. And there's going to be a darkness that the brother of Jesus, Jude, wrote about. It's only one chapter in his little epistle, his little letter, Jude. Verses 12 and 13 say this, and he's talking about hypocrites in the church, how God's going to pull them out like weeds. He said, these are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast, that is in your Lord's Supper celebrations, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit. Remember when Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit? He said, if they don't have any fruit, they don't have any root. These are without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. Now listen, Wandering stars from whom the dark, black darkness has been reserved forever. That's hell. And that's the kind, that's the kind of darkness that's going to be on the earth. This hellish darkness that causes pain. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed God from heaven because of their pains and their sores and they refuse to repent of their deeds. Bowl number six, Revelation 16, 12 through 16, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that, they, so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. Now, what's all this about? Verse 13, and I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frog. There's the holy, the unholy trinity right there. That's the dragon is Satan. The beast is the antichrist. The false prophet is the false prophet. And for they are spirits of demons. They have spirits of demons in them performing signs, which go out of these kings of the whole, out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the almighty. That is the battle of Armageddon. Then Jesus says parenthetically in verse 15, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. And then he says, And they gather them together to the place which is in Hebrew is called Har-Mageddon. In Hebrew, the little uh, sign at the top shows you that you put an H in front of it, but we always just leave the little H off and it's Armageddon. I'll treat this more deeply 
and uh, in more detail in weeks to come. Suffice it to say here that there are demonic spirits, and you have the devil who obviously is a demonic spirit, and you have Antichrist filled with demonic spirits, and you have the false prophet filled with demonic spirits going to all the political people, all the kings, all the rulers all over the world, and he gets them all together in a valley that we call the Valley of Jezreel, in the midst of which is Megiddo, the little tell there that's been a place for uh, kingdoms for a long time. And in that huge, vast valley, miles and four miles, is going to be the bloodiest war ever on this earth. Antichrist and false prophet will be snatched up and thrown into hell. Satan will be snatched up and thrown into the abyss for a thousand years. And sinners will be destroyed by the sword that comes out of the mouth of Jesus. Then there's one more bowl in chapter 16. Bowl number seven, look at verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds, peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from the heavens upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. I've had people say, do you really believe? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe there's going to be an earthquake and all the mountains are going to be flattened out? Do you really believe God is going to send 100 pounds? pieces of hail from heaven. Look at me. If it had said a thousand pounds, I'd have said, I believe it. I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible. So whatever weight God wants, look at me, that's no big deal to God. God created the whole universe. Don't you think he can create some hail with a hundred pound pieces of hail? And even though they're watching this devastation, they're shaking their fist at God and cursing God. Can you imagine being that hardened? That's the way it's going to be. And John saw it. He saw it. And he saw the seven bowls of wrath. Now, the second harvest, the harvest of the battle of Armageddon. Look at it very quickly. We won't go into great detail, but I'll just hit the highlights. Look at verse 17 and following in Revelation 14 beginning at verse 17. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar. He called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and the blood came out from the winepress up to the horses' bridles for a distance of 200 miles. What's going on here? Battle of Armageddon. It's a prophetic look forward. 
First of all, the chosen harvester. Back in verse 14, we had the crowned harvester. We had Jesus. This is another harvester. This is just an angel. I hate to say just an angel. It is an angel. Another angel came out of the temple. There's no behold here. It's not Jesus. He's not wearing a golden crown, which is in heaven and also had a sharp sickle. So he's ready to harvest one of the chosen harvesters, one of the chosen angels of God. That's the chosen harvester. Then notice another command to harvest. This is the second harvest. The first harvest was grain. This harvest will be grapes, but those grapes represent something, and I'll talk about it momentarily. Look at verse 18. Then another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar. Now, what's that? You remember back when we talked about that the prayers of the saints ascend to the altar of God, and they're mixed in with the incense there, and it burns on the altar of God every day, nonstop. Your prayers are an eternal thing. I want to encourage you. Time spent in prayer is never a waste of time. That's one of the ways you lay up treasure in heaven is to pray. God loves your prayers so much. He takes your prayers and puts it with incense and burns it there before Him. Your prayers are ever going up before God. And that's the scene you see here. And because of that, because of that fire from the altar, He called with a loud voice to Him who had the sharp sickle saying, put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth because her grapes are ripe. Prayers of the saints. And then notice not only the command to harvest, notice the catastrophe, catastrophe of this harvest. In verses 19 and 20, something is described that's going to be really something to see. The battle of Armageddon. Verses 19 and 20, so the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth. He threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, outside of Jerusalem. It's going to happen in the Valley of Armageddon, the Jezreel Valley. And blood came up from the winepress up to the horses' bridles for a distance of 200 miles. All throughout Scripture, God's wrath is compared to a vineyard and an owner of a vineyard. What they would do is, they're workers, they would put all the grapes in a big vat. This doesn't sound very good as far as cleanliness, but they would walk on it. And they would tread upon the grapes until all the grape juice flowed out of the grapes, out of the vat where they would make the wine. What you have here is a picture of God throwing in a vat all the sinners who refuse to repent, and He's going to tread upon them, and their blood at the valley of Armageddon, the battle of Armageddon, their blood is going to flow out just like grape juice flows into wine. It's a very vivid picture. And I want to remind you of something. There was a lady in the 1800s who lived during the time of the Civil War, Julia Ward Howe. She wrote the battle hymn of the Republic, and it kind of became the major song for the Union forces. 
Because she, as she was praying, she believed in all of her heart that the Union was going to win so that the slaves could be set free from the Confederate Army and from the South. Nine million slaves in America at that time. And she wrote these words, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage or the grapes of wrath. How many of you ever heard this? The grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed his faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. Our God is marching on. She saw the Union soldiers as being God's instrument to tread out the Confederate soldiers and the Confederate cause and to defeat them. And God was, she was saying, God is going to, she took the imagery out of this text from which I'm preaching. That's the only reason I bring it up. She took this imagery out and she said, God is going to vindicate the North and punish the South and he's going to trample out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. Well, Bible says God's going to do that. And God is going to take all sinners who refuse to repent and he's going to put the wrath of God on them just like in a wine press when the owner walks on the grapes. God's going to do that on sinners. We read it earlier in chapter 14. It says in verses 9 and 10, Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Where does this come from? The Old Testament. Isaiah wrote it in Isaiah 63. Who is the one who comes from Edom, from the city of Basra, with his clothing stained red? Who is this? In royal robes, marching in his great strength. And then the Lord answers, it is I, the Lord, announcing your salvation. It is I, the Lord, who has the power to save. And then the prophet says, why are, you, are your clothes so red as if you have been treading out grapes? And then God answers, I have been treading out treading the wine press alone. No one was there to help me. In my anger, I have trampled my enemies as if they were grapes. In my fury, I have trampled my foes. Their blood has stained my clothes. When Jeremiah was sitting and looking at the vast destruction and devastation all around him in Jerusalem, there's the temple. What's left of it? Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian armies have burned it in 587. And he's looking around. He's been preaching to these people for 40 years. God wouldn't even let him have a wife and a family. And he's been preaching to them saying, if you don't repent, the Babylonians are coming. They're going to destroy this place. He said, this place can't be destroyed. These are the walls of God. Now all the walls are down. Now the temple is burned. Now the hundreds of thousands of people are slain. Babies and everything else laying out in the streets and Jeremiah gives a lamentation. He laments and he says in Lamentations 1 verse 15, The Lord has rejected all my strong men in my midst. He has called an appointed time against me to crush my young men. The Lord, the Lord has trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. And where did all this come from? Where did John get this? What was the imagery? 
One of the things he got was from Joel chapter 3, verses 13. It says, swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe. It sounds almost exactly like John said. Come, tread the grapes for the winepress is full. The storage vats are flow, overflowing with the wickedness of these people. What's going to happen at the end of time? There's going to be this great battle called the Battle of Armageddon in the Valley of Megiddo in the Jezreel Valley. I've been there 15 times. I've looked out over that thing and just trying to figure out how it's going to work. You can't even see the end of that valley. It goes on, it looks like, forever. And somehow, Antichrist, empowered by the devil and the demons, Antichrist and the false prophet are going to trick and, and, and seduce, get all these kings and bring their armies there. And they're going to be waiting. He said, we're going to defeat Jesus. We're going to defeat Christ. And all of a sudden, the sky is going to split open at the end of the great tribulation. And Jesus is coming back with his Christians. And he is going to slay him with the sword of his mouth, the word of God. Don't tell me. Don't tell me it's not going to be a battle. Now look at me. I just want to give you a warning. If you don't want to hear me shout a lot, don't come when I preach on Revelation 19, all right? I'm just going to read it to you now. I might shout a little bit now. But this, listen, it looks like sometimes the world is winning, but it won't. It won't. It won't. Jesus is going to call us up out of this old world and then we're going to be raptured out. The great tribulation will take place at the end of which we've been up in heaven worshiping Him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now we're going to come back with Him. I don't even like horses, but I'll ride one that day. And we're going to be coming back and, and maybe David and, 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 and David Coombs and, and Drew Tucker and I can just ride by each other. I don't know. But we're going to come back and we're going to be there and this is how the battle is going to take place. Listen to it. Revelation 19, verses 11 and following. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He who sat upon it is called Faithful and True. Ah, that's our Jesus. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes, oh, they're a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. He's, a, he's the king of kings. And he has a name written on him, which is no one knows except himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Now listen. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Say that with me. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried out with a loud voice. This is the Valley of Armageddon right here. Here's the battle. I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in the midheaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and the flesh of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men, slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast, that is the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him. That is Jesus who sat on the horse and against his army. Now here's, here's the war. Here it is. Not much of a war. And the beast, the Antichrist was seized. There's the war. That's it. That's it. And with him, the false prophet who performed the signs 
in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Those two, these two, were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who set on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. At the battle of Armageddon, Jesus will trample down literally the grapes of wrath. He will judge all sinners. He will judge Satan and throw him into the abyss for a thousand years. He will judge Antichrist and the false prophet and throw them into hell for all eternity. Satan's going to be bound. Antichrist and false prophet are going to be cast into hell. Dr. Rogers said it won't be much of a battle. Jesus is going to show up. And when he appears, he's just going to say, drop dead. And they will. And they will. And the blood will flow. I don't know if he was speaking literally or metaphorically. I don't know. I kind of personally, I think it's a metaphor of how much blood there's going to be. I don't know how I know it's going to flow. It's going to be 200 miles long. I know that. How deep, I don't know. But I know it will be the bloodiest battlefield and the bloodiest battle of all history. And the only one that's going to strike a blow is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. So I, I, don't, I don't like that Jesus. Well, that's the Bible, Jesus. He says, well, I, I, I don't, that's not my kind of God. I'm not interested in your kind of God. I'm interested in the Bible kind of God. I'm not trying to be arrogant. But I want to tell you something. God's not putting up with this stuff forever. There's going to come a time God says, okay, that's it. Jesus, go. And when Jesus is told to go, there's going to be an outpouring of wrath followed by the sweetest time the world will have ever known until back all the way to creation thousand years of Jesus reigning in peace on this earth. And there won't be any more immorality. And there won't be any more war. And there won't be any more racism. And there won't be any more abortion. And there won't be any more sin. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Sing it with me. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is 
marching on. Give him praise today. His truth is marching on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> praise him right now. Praise him right now. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Amen. Father, we just thank you that Jesus Christ is coming, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Satan will not win. Sin will not win. Sinners will not win. Lord, you have already won. You're our sovereign God, and we give you praise. Hallelujah.